and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Seligson, and special guest co-host, Kali Foxman. Hi, you two. Hi. Hello, friends. Today, we're talking about a new documentary film called The Rabbi Goes West, which we recently screened, and we loved it. Kali and Dan, you interview the two filmmakers, Gerald Perry, co-director and writer, and Amy Geller, co-director and producer. Tell us about the film. The Rabbi Goes West follows Chabad Rabbi Chaim Brook on his ambitious campaign to put a mezuzah on the home of every Jew in Montana. That's less than 2,000 families spread across a state 14 times larger than Israel. His goal is to reach out to mostly unaffiliated Jews and connect them with Judaism. But it wasn't all that simple. He faced skepticism. The thing is, Montana has existing Jewish communities, and other rabbis in the state were concerned that the Mezuzah Project was part of a larger goal to establish Chabad centers elsewhere in Montana. At the same time, threats of anti-Semitism, including from neo-Nazis, were looming. This is a truly fascinating documentary that will premiere in New England on November 17th, the closing night of the Boston Jewish Film Festival. Filmmakers Jerry and Amy graciously answered our questions ahead of the premiere and explained why they wanted to tell this particular story. Jerry and Amy, welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast, and thanks for coming to talk to us about your new documentary, The Rabbi Goes West. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. So how did you first hear about Rabbi Chaim and his family, and what was it that made you say, yeah, this is a story that we need to tell? What was the impetus for telling this guy's story? Okay, so okay, that's my part of the story. Um, so the... This movie started with my impulse as a kind of secular Jew to try to get in touch with my own Judaism and to make a film about my own Judaism. So I went through all the Jewish things and tried to figure out what do I really love that I can make a film about. And after thinking a while, I decided mezuzahs. I really love mezuzahs. We have a wonderful mezuzah on our house. We care about mezuzahs. So I went investigating all through the web, every kind of mezuzah story. I know every Hollywood movie ever that has a mezuzah in it. And um, just read mezuzah article after mezuzah. We're thinking the mezuzah movie. But as I was doing investigation, I came across the story of Rabbi Chaim Brook in Bozeman, Montana, who has a pledge to put a mezuzah on the home of every Jew in the state of Montana. And I went, wow, there it is. We can narrow the story down. And so I called Rabbi Brooke on the phone, and he was fantastic on the phone. Um, one thing about documentaries is you actually have to uh, cast them just as, you, as, a, as a Hollywood film. So listening to Brooke, he was perfect because he spoke in a very linear way. He spoke very fast. He was a rapid speaker, and he was really sarcastic and funny. He's from he, Brooklyn. He's a New York Jew. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly. from Montana. He's a New York Jew in Montana. So I thought, this is great. So I said, Rabbi, could we come out and watch you put up mezuzahs? And he said, absolutely, yes. And at that point, Amy was, was the producer of the film. I was the director, and we went out to do it. But soon, Amy was so involved in the film in every way that she became – not only the producer, which he's great, but the co-director. 
Is that right, Amy? That's that right, the- yeah. And and Hayam was just as charismatic in person as he was on the phone. He's much younger. A lot of people think, oh, Rabbi, he must be in his 70s or 80s. No, he's actually in his 30s. Um, and, you know, we discovered a lot more when we got out to Montana. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we found the film to be um, completely delightful. So thank you for your work. We're curious about the process. How long were you in Montana? Was it freezing cold? Um, <laughs> how many hours of footage did you get? Um, what was the whole process of uh, filming like? So we started filming in July of 2016, I think. And we filmed on and off for three years. Um, and we did, we mostly were in Montana, but we also filmed in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, um, which is the sort of center of the Chabad community, um, which is where Hayam is from. He spent the first, I think, 25, 26 years of his life there. Um, so we filmed, I'd say, I can't remember if it was four or five different trips to Montana. And in different seasons, mm-hmm. um, partly based on the Jewish holidays, but also partly based on our subjects' availability and when you know when it worked out for them to be available because making a movie and running your life are two very different things, but just as demanding. <laughs> so yes, it, it can get very cold in Montana. <laughs> we were there for Hanukkah in December, and it's very interesting, coming from Boston, they do not plow the roads, mm-hmm. so there's just People have, you know, trucks and they just get around and they just deal with the fact that there's snow everywhere. And they just, have multiple sets of tires. They probably that's do. That's one of the yeah. things mm. that they do. <laughs> so you, you talked about sort of the, the seasons and going back four times. And Montana, I think it says in the film is, oh, is it 10 or 11 times the size of the state of Israel? Therefore, that much bigger than Massachusetts. That must have been one of the challenges. But what were some of the challenges that you experienced while making the film? Well, I guess, you know, once we got out there and started talking with Chaim, um, in a way, we really didn't know what the story was. Um, Chaim is a Chabad rabbi. He's, you know, a specific kind of Hasidic sect. And we are pretty secular Jews. And frankly, we didn't know anything about Chabad. That was a surprise. We just knew he was, uh, you know, that sounded cool. He's... Hasid and what's a Hasid doing there? So, in the uh, I think the big thing was educating ourselves, and we really educated ourselves by making the film. We learned so much about Chabad, including I think a lot of um, sort of misconceptions that non-Chabad people have about um, about Chabad, and those are in the film. But we also learned very quickly that he was not the only rabbi there. That as we say, yes, there are Jews in Montana all over the place, and a lot of them are not uh, Orthodox. A lot of them are Reform and unaffiliated, unaffiliated, and also challenged by what Chabad does. So we found out that uh, it wasn't just a rosy. He was not just a Jewish Santa Claus. There were other people who thought uh, this was dangerous having Chabad poaching uh, Jews in the state of Montana. So we had all this dramatic tension we had no idea of before. Mm-hmm. And were all of your subjects open to being in the documentary? Yeah, amazingly, um, and this is a huge part of documentary filmmaking, is um, you know getting people that are comfortable speaking on camera and honest with you and authentic. And it took some doing, um, but I think people felt like we. this is our fourth film. We've, we've made a bunch of films now, and so I think people felt like we had a track record. They trusted us. And we were very honest with them from the get-go about, you know, who we were interviewing, what the different perspectives were. We didn't say it was going to be, as we'd learned, you know, what the film was going to be about, we would share that with our subjects. Um, And, you know, it was sometimes difficult, but ultimately people respected that we were trying to make a very well-balanced 
portrait and that it wasn't just a promotional video. It wasn't just a one-sided video that, you know, we really were intended to make a balanced film. And I think that's what we did. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that so many times uh, documentaries that I've watched or documentary makers who I've talked to set out to do one thing and ended up with something completely different. The guys who made Heading Home, the team of four guys from, I think, Brooklyn, um, thought that they were going to make a movie about professional athletes going to visit Israel for the first time to kind of be like a birthright slash travelogue thing. Team Israel ended up getting all the way to the quarterfinals of this tournament. So it ended up being sort of this Cinderella story where you see Team Israel beating Taiwan and other countries they have just no right beating. And it was just this random thing where it ended up being completely different. It was this sort of the same situation. You started with one idea in mind and ended up at a completely different place. That's the beauty of documentary filmmaking. Unlike, you know, structured fiction filmmaking where you have a script and you follow the process and documentary, oftentimes the story is really discovered in, but through the process of making the film, uh, the film is often made in the edit room. So one of the things that I found really fascinating living in this large Jewish community that we're in here in Boston Speaking from my personal experience, there doesn't seem to be any obvious outward tension between various Jewish sects. That is, I grew up in Lexington. We have a Chabad house and a large reform and large conservative synagogue. And when bad things happen, for example, uh, we had an attempted arson in Arlington at a Chabad house, actually two. Everyone just kind of came together. In in Montana, I got this vibe from the film that, that it was sort of competitive, that you've got, maybe it's... Well, what, what's the reason for that, do you think? It's a lot of Jews in a very, very tight, small community and versus Boston where you can have a lot of people in the Chabad and a lot of people in the Orthodox. And here it's, there are stakes in Montana so that, for instance, a new Chabad has come into the northern part of the state near Whitefish, and it's definitely taken some of the congregants who belong to um, conservative synagogue are now moved over so that's less people it is it is serious but we we found that it's pretty contextual it varies place to place there are some places where chabad um, it does not get along with everybody i think it's not just in montana there are other places for instance where hillel and chabad on campus are good pals some places they they compete uh, we showed the film in San Francisco in Palo Alto, and there the Chabad rabbi came to the film and said much he loved it, and other people from the Palo Alto who were not Chabad said, we all get along really well here, he's a great guy, and so it 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 varies. So we did not go there knowing that there was going to be this tension. Um, we can say, obviously, as filmmakers, it, it's it's better because you want dramatic tension in a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, what may be bad for the Jews is sometimes good for a movie. It's it's a sound, I'm I'm being lightly cynical, but, but, you know, I think we started with just a short film, which would have been a friendly, feel good, put up mezuzah movie. And the fact that there were these tensions allowed Amy and I to extend and make a feature film with, and Different there's a town states. called Whitefish, yes. where Jews there, live in Montana. There's definitely a yes. small right there. Jewish community there, but yes. <laughs> We've heard that Whitefish is a town called Whitefish, <laughs> Nakanthi. That's exactly what I said when I was watching. Yeah. I just wanted to add to that. I think that one of the surprises that we had was despite the fact that there's some tensions within the um, rabbinical community, that the congregants actually there that tension doesn't really exist. And they feel very comfortable kind of, it's like a fluid kind of thing. 
I think in Boston, that wouldn't necessarily be the case, that you might go to a Chabad event and then go to a Reform synagogue like the next night. People feel very comfortable kind of going back and forth between all different things. And I think that that's amazing in a place like Montana to have all those options. And I think there's a real gratitude for that there. So that was another surprise that we took away from that experience. So you mentioned that having this kind of dramatic tension is good for the film. How did it feel as filmmakers to sort of be there for these um, conversations that could feel a little tense and awkward? And do you know how those relationships have changed or progressed since you left? As filmmakers, I think our job is to do our best to navigate it without judgment. So we were very conscious of where this is an exploration, we're learning, and that was the journey that we were on as filmmakers, and that's what we wanted the audience to feel. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, sort of how we set up every interview and how we dealt with, you know, the process of making the film. But I think what was interesting is that we had a lot of conversations with our subjects and with ourselves as we were learning about Judaism and about Jewish identity and you know, what what these things mean and how they can be fluid. So it was a very, very interesting process as just the development of myself as a Jew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of the things in the movie is a question of whether there will be new Chabad's coming to the state. And that's the real tension that the non-Chabad rabbis especially are very wary of this, and and some of the congregants too, especially women who feel that Chabad is not representative of women's rights are also a little suspicious. So at the end of the film, there is a new Chabad um, in the northern part of Montana, and it's there, and there are rabbis, so the world has changed a bit. Uh, we do have our, our one rabbi in the film who is a reform rabbi who is pro- probably the most vociferous hater of everything Chabad stands for. Anyway, he has resigned, and he's now running for the Montana legislature as a, uh, a liberal Democrat. Wow. So, there, so one synagogue, reform synagogue in Bozeman is hiring a new rabbi. If anybody's out there in Boston wants to be a rabbi, okay. Bozeman is a beautiful, really beautiful yes, place. Yes, it did look beautiful. It's, it's like great. It, yeah. but just to correct you, he actually, he retired. He didn't resign. He retired. He retired. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's okay. different. Yes. So he retired and we get the idea that there is hope that a new rabbi will come in who will get along well with Chabad from people in the Reform Synagogue. And what did you learn about these sort of remote Jewish communities? Like, what does it tell us about these kinds of small communities in America and around the world? I think that, I mean, one of the things that Rabbi Ed, the Reform Rabbi, says in the film, and I think this is true, that in a place like Boston, you can sort of, he says, like, you could be Jewish just walking down the street, right? Mm-hmm. Or New York. It's just, it's just sort of, there's ways of, of, of seeing your Jewish identity around you. Mm-hmm. And in a place like Montana, specifically in Bozeman, you really have to be a part of an affiliation or a congregation. Generally speaking, being Jewish means being connected to a community. And I think mm-hmm. that for us, again, our, our surprise was that there were so many different community options there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are Jews that don't belong and, you know, that's their choice and you know, they live there, but they're not affiliated. Mm-hmm. But by and large, we discovered that they, they typically are. But those Jews who don't belong, Rabbi Chaim, the Chabad rabbi, is looking for them. That's the people he's driving around the state, going into climbing mountains and 
going into gas stations, and this is in the movie, he, go, he goes mm-hmm. to gas stations and where there's somebody non-Jewish working and says, do you know any Jews in this town? <laughs> We're, we happen to be going through this town looking for Jews. Uh-huh. And he literally does that. He goes everywhere, and people have been surprised. I think some people are a little shocked when he appears at the doors, and other people are very complimented that someone would seek them out. Mm-hmm. So I think if you move to Montana and you're Jewish, you might be quite lonely at first, um, where feeling I'm alone, and suddenly the rabbis, especially Haim, will be calling you and say, "Come Friday night." We, yeah. you know, and it's very, very welcoming, and people are, I think, happy to do that. So, yes, the synagogue is a happy place in the state of Montana for Jews to congregate. Mm-hmm. These Federation should learn something from how Haim <laughs> finds people. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to talk about some of the moments that I really enjoyed from the film. One was kind of a tense scene. You brought together Chaim and Ed, the reform rabbi that we just talked about, and they had a conversation. I'd say it was a little bit more like a debate, and it seemed like each one of them stuck to some talking points that they had maybe brought with them, or I know Chaim's got in his head. I don't know about Ed. Did you have to cut anything from that conversation, or was there some more off camera that they said, I don't want to show that or whatever, but was that scene? Um, what I mean, exactly we, we ended it? up filming, it was probably like, I don't know, a 45 minute conversation all told. And as much as we would have loved to have made that, you know, made the film longer, it's very hard to put a 45 minute conversation in a film and not sort of lose the momentum of the overall film. So we did have to choose sort of the best moments, the highlights that we felt sort of typified their differences and also some of their similarities. Are there any moments of levity between those two? Not a lot of laughs, no. <laughs> not really. The end, I mean, no, I don't know what you thought bitter. about the ending. No, I, don't think so. I, I wanted them to hug it out. I should say we are very, very proud of that scene because we don't know of any other movie, this is a challenge for you, that has a debate between a Reform rabbi and an Orthodox rabbi about mm-hmm. very, very key beliefs with both groups, whether it's about Israel, whether it's about women's rights, whether it's about the literalness of the Bible, whether it's mm-hmm. true or not. So uh, we were so happy with that scene. I think the rabbis were more shocked so I guess I would I would if I had any disagreement of gentle ones I don't think they actually did very many talking points I thought they came from the gut and what they believed and and fought each other and are completely mystified how the other possibly could believe something so erroneous about Judaism and yet they're both Jews and yeah. they're both those are their key beliefs same tribe very different and very I think different in that, mindsets that was another impetus for us in terms of making this film because. You know, we just live in this very polemical time and trying to have conversations with people, even within the tribe, that may have different political or religious views can be very difficult at times. And yet Chaim is working with people or reaching out to people across Montana who may be extremely liberal, extremely secular, and he seems to just get into their homes, give them a mezuzah, they do a prayer together, and they're good. I think it goes back to this idea that people want to connect and with with people, you know, what whatever that means. And, and certainly in a place like Jerry said in Montana, where you might feel there probably aren't any Jews here. What's the community like? You maybe have just moved there from out of state, which is the case for a lot of Jews in the state. And what he does so well is that outreach piece and really sort of meets you where you are. At least that's how the community feels. And I think that's a testament to Chabad's success. 
Uh, we were also curious about Chaim's wife, Javi, and you just mentioned this type of community outreach that he is doing. Um, we know it's just as much work for Chabad women who are often hosting people in their homes, managing the Chabad centers, and teaching classes themselves. How did you decide um, how much or little to incorporate her and her story throughout the film? Well, I think she's really, really, really important. I mean, we we have to make sure that we are making a film which includes the women's point of view and the women's vantage and the way women operate within Chabad. I think we just presented her story in, the, I guess, the best way, giving her her best arguments about how she is, as she says, a liberated woman, mm-hmm. although, you know, some... Jews outside Chabad would say, no, she's not, that that she's in second place and the rabbi runs it. But she makes very good arguments, I think. And one of the things about the movie is we would not really make a film about people that we don't like. So we like Chaim, we like Javi, and we also are very impressed by what good parents they are. Let me just say that. They've adopted five children, and that's not a usual Chabad thing. They've, they are mm-hmm. kind of pioneers. I don't know why that's a rule in Chabad, but you don't adopt. Well, they adopt and adopt and adopt, and they are fabulous parents. And Chaim does a lot of work with the kids. It is not He is not a sexist. That's women's work. Mm-hmm. He is, takes the kids to school every day. He is, participates in their lives, and you know, uh, we like that. Mm-hmm. Amy and I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There were just some great scenes in the film. I won't give them all away, but really they just showed us something unexpected that kind of inverted the audience expectations of a Chabad rabbi. For example, when Chaim takes his oldest daughter to a shooting range. Were there other surprises like that that you encountered? That was definitely a surprise. I mean, I think in Montana, guns are just part of the culture. They're they're part of life, and it's it's not a surprise to them. This is just an extension of what they do. In fact, there's, I think, a a holiday in the fall where school closes down and kids go with their parents to the shooting range (laughs) or go hunting for the day. Go hunting. Go hunting for the day. Again, it's just part of the culture. It's not to us, to, you know, Northeast audiences. It might feel pretty off-putting, but to them it's an extension of who they are. It might be a little weird to hear about that in... Headquarters, Lubavitch headquarters as well, right? And your rabbi's got an a an AR and a rain, yeah, semi-automatic weapon. I I don't know. <laughs> no, I think his idea that Jews should be, you know, equipped with weapons would probably be a general Chabad philosophy, including, of course, being vigilant in Israel. So I think it's pretty consistent. Mm. So a rabbi with a gun. That seems okay. But I think Amy's point is really important. In Montana, Democrats have guns. It's not doesn't divide every everywhere else. So it is normal. Actually the guy the guy at the shooting range who is teaching her to shoot is also Jewish. As a Jewish yeah. So Jews are Jews and guns, that's Montana. That's uh, we And in fact when we of course we expressed some surprise at this and we were talking to some of the other Jews in the state and some of the other rabbis in the state about this, and they sort of poo-pooed it and said, yeah, you liberal Northeast you know, folks, that's your misconceptions about us, and it's just part of our culture here. So it was that was definitely a learning experience for us. It's fair to say that our interactions with guns in the Northeast tend to go badly. We don't have a holiday for them. Right. <laughs> we, yes. we have incidents no. of violence yes. against yes. people. Yes, exactly. We're still for gun control, if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Amy and I, we have not converted on that. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, well, there were a number of themes, as we talked about, that came up in the film. And you, you started with an idea of what film you might be making and ended up with something different. But some of the themes that we that we talked about already, bringing Judaism or talking about Judaism in an unexpected place and finding a vibrant and you know community there that while it's not big, it's it's very active and engaged. The relationship between different sects of Judaism and exploration of how Chabad does its work. What are what's the message or messages that you want people to take away from the film? Oh, we always resist that question as filmmakers because the beauty of having people look at your work, your art, is to have them take their own message away. I think we were very clear that we really wanted people to go on this a similar journey to the one that we took when we were making the film, a journey of discovery and a journey of coming up with your own takeaway, coming up with your own impression and making your own judgments. And so, you know, many films and for good reason have a specific agenda and want, you know, a certain political or message to come across. And that's great. Um, and, and I've made those films before, but I think, this film, we really wanted people to to make their own decisions at the end of the day. So I don't know if you want to add to that. No, that's beautiful, Amy. Touche. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> and, and there's so much in the film. There are so many things to think about after you watch it. I mean, it was really, you packed a lot in. It was fantastic. I mean, if any message I would say, and, and, okay. and, and like, I don't know, is... Be aware of your judgments and misconceptions and be open to listening. And I think that maybe sounds Pollyanna-ish, but I think that that's a big piece of what I see not happening in the, the sort of political discussions of our day. And so that, you know, even though we don't disagree with everything ideologically or religiously that Chabad represents or that Hayam espouses, we, like Jerry said, are able to feel a, a connection and a friendship with him. And he actually came to our screening in Berkeley. Um, and, you know, that's one of the most liberal Jewish places in the country. And we were a little concerned, but he, he came and he was completely beloved. You know, people were taking selfies with him after the screening. He's coming to our screening at the Boston Jewish Film Festival on the 17th. We have to take a selfie with him. <laughs> uh, of November. So, I mean, he's been as supportive as he can be of this film. And I think that that's, and we, and we haven't, we've shown it to all the rabbis in the state, but we haven't been able to, we haven't had any screenings in Montana yet. So when, when we do, we look forward to having, you know, another discussion with everyone in the, in the, in the rabbinic community as well about the film. Mm. Did you hear any feedback from the subjects of the film? I know you haven't had a screening there, but I assume they've all seen it. Clearly everybody would like the film to be about them and about their position. So, and I think there, I would, I guess, slightly amend how everybody, you know, is very cooperative. They were cooperative, but wishing the film or trying to listen to the questions and try to figure out, is this, are the filmmakers taking our position mm -hmm. and we're taking no position? I mean, not, not in, a, in an evasive way, but trying to be really open about all positions in, in the film. I think Chaim is the most happy you know, I'd say is I mean, it's not a contest. He's happy with the film, but wishes there were parts in which he was not criticized. But, mm. but we always said, "I'm this is our pledge. We will make a film in which we will be nice to your family. We're not there to attack. We're not there to attack your congregants. Mm -hmm. But there is going to be criticism of you in the film, and we must put it in the film 
It's, this is not a hagiography. This is not a We Love Heim film. And he accepted that mm-hmm. always. And watching the film, I, as I just said, he was hurt by certain moments, but he shrugged and said, it's fair and, and, it, and it's good. And uh, the other rabbis, I think, wish two of the rabbis we've talked to, and I think they wish it were more, less about Chabad and more about them, but they also understand that it's fair and okay and are accepting of the film as is. I feel like we haven't mentioned this, but I, I wanted to bring this up, which is that um, sadly and surprisingly when we were there, there was a, a cyber attack against several families in the Jewish community, and two of those families included some of the rabbis that we were following. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happened in northern Montana, like right on the Canadian border in Whitefish. That was about six months before the Charlottesville riots. And that, again, you don't know where the story is going to go when you start this process of making a film. And so that has also become part of the movie. The good news in this case is that the community in Whitefish, both the Jews and the non-Jews, really came together and supported those Jewish families and, you know, espoused no hate in our state. But it was a pretty scary time. And there were a lot of anti-Semitic attacks on the internet and phone calls to these families, and um, and it was it was very, very terrifying. And have you had screenings yet around the country? Yeah, so we, our world premiere was at the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival this summer, and we've screened in San Antonio, Texas, and that screening also went very well. All the screenings so far have been incredible, and, and audiences have really been very grateful that for the balanced pr- perspective that we've presented. We have many, many screenings coming up, <laughs> including a couple of in, in New York City, our, our New England premiere at the Boston Jewish Film Festival in November, screenings in Israel, and many other cities. We have a website where we list all the upcoming screenings, therabbigoeswest.com. So you did talk to the very top level of the Chabad movement. Did you get any feedback? All, all, so far, we've just had a couple of Chabad rabbis who have attended and have loved the film. So it hasn't yet. We're holding off. I think we know that there's incredible interest in the Chabad community. What Chabad would really like, because they don't like uh, going to uh, going to theaters to see films, they love for it to be available streaming or available on DVD. Mm-hmm. And we know it's going to just go crazy in the Chabad community at that point, but we're holding off, and so there's no link and there's no DVD yet. So we're, I think, probably in about a year, Chabad is going to watch it. And I, I think we are very excited that the thought that Chabad is very excited because there's never actually been a film about Chabad before. So, so far, even with the criticisms we're making in the film, even with including, a, say, a woman rabbi, which is not Chabad at all, right. um, they seem to be okay and happy, really happy the film is there. So I think uh, we just want to end with one more question. Um, you both have talked about your Jewish journeys, and it sounds like this film was a big learning experience for each of you. So I'm just curious what you feel like you're taking away personally from making this film? Well, I'm, I'm not very religious, and at my worst moments, I have sometimes trouble understanding why people go to religious institutions. Making the film, I, I think I understand much better. I I Because we were in synagogues in Montana, and we could feel the warmth and the community and how um, really good it was. So... And that way, I have definitely grown as a Jew. I think for me, I I have been on this sort of 
winding Jewish journey where, you know, I was in my 20s and I started working at the Boston Jewish Film Festival. And then I kind of came back as the artistic director about, I don't know, five or six years ago. And now it's sort of like bring coming home by being the closing night film there. Um, but I think similar to Jerry, I don't know. I just feel that almost like a kinship with um, the Montana Jewish community. And they have inspired me. I don't know that I'm any more religious than, than I was before, um, but I, I would say I'm more deeply Jewishly spiritual. And um, I think my journey will continue. Yes. Can we really push our screening? Can we yes, get really? Please. So we're please. About to do, we're about to do that. You're about to do that. Okay. That's even better. Tell no, everybody. Away, By the way, we have a screening coming up. Do you happen to have any information about yes. it? Yes. The Rabbi Goes West will be screened as the closing night film at the Boston Jewish Film Festival on Sunday, November 17th in Somerville. And we know the audience will have a chance to hear from both of you in person. And you just mentioned the special guest is Chaim himself. Flying in from Bozeman, Montana. Very cool. Many selfies will be taken. Mm-hmm. Many yes. selfies. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thank you. This thank is fun. You. Thank yeah, you. Really fun. To learn more about The Rabbi Goes West, visit therabbigoeswest.com. For more information about the November 17th screening in Boston, visit bostonjfilm.org. Listeners, remember to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to the Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks as always to our editor, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan. And if you out there are so inspired, hang a mezuzah on your door. <laughs>